0: Today is Wednesday. It's March 22nd, 2023, and it's 2.46 in the afternoon. And hi, this is John Williams, and this is another edition of the Mincing Rascals podcast. We broadcast it sometimes on WGN Radio, Saturday nights at 8 if you're driving around. And you can hear me weekdays on WGN Radio, weekdays from 10 to 2.
1: Hi, I'm Mark Jacob. I'm a former Metro editor at the Chicago Tribune, now he's a freelance writer.
2: Hi, I'm Mark Areno, freelance journalist in Chicago. You can check me out at at Mark Garino on Twitter or mark com. And I'm Eric Zorn, the publisher of the Picayune Sentinel,
3: the newsletter on Substack. And I am really looking forward to reading Mark Garino's new book. You have to mention that. Yeah, Mark, uh,
0: the the only reason to do these podcasts, Mark, (laughs) is to plug what
2: you got going. I'm not used to it. Um, I have a book coming out in the University of Chicago Press in late April uh, called Country and Midwestern Chicago in the History of Country Music. It's a result of 10 long years of research, and the spring and the summer have me busy with a million events. So if you want to learn more about it, Go to countryandmidwestern.com to learn. Everything's there for you to kind of learn about. little
3: feature in Chicago Magazine. I Disney. saw it.
2: There is, yeah, and I still need to see it. I haven't seen it yet, but um, I hear it's really cool. It trashes you. <laughs> <laughs> What's the big surprise? Everyone was, everyone was so nice. To, everyone was so nice to me. <laughs> go yeah. figure.
0: But like, what would surprise me to read about in the book? What would I learn that I go, wow, I didn't know that we had those kind of roots or whatever? What what jumps out at you?
2: We had the first radio show on WLS that preceded the Grand Old Opry that set the template for the Grand Old Opry and dominated um, country music radio for about until about the end of World War II.
3: That was the WLS Barn Dance you're talking about. It it
2: was the WLS Barn Dance. Oh, I remember
0: that by name, but I didn't realize that was... A lot of
2: people remember the TV show that ended up on WGN, and it's kind of later years, but the early years, it started in 1924, the same month that WLS went on the air. And what's the title of this book again? Country and Midwestern Chicago in the History of Country Music and the Folk Revival. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast before the weekend, Eric,
0: your son is performing at a, a music festival that features some of this music, right? Or is it more bluegrass?
3: It's it's bluegrass. It's a Naperville bluegrass festival. And uh, mm-hmm. Ben's band, the uh, River Valley Rangers, is going to be playing there on Friday night. I'll be out there. And Mincing Rascals fans can come say hello. So,
2: Yeah, no kidding. And key. even also playing that festival is Special Consensus, which I write about in my book. They're the first bluegrass band outside of the South to play bluegrass. <laughs> in the early 70s you think there's blue there's a bluegrass band in every corner now but in the 70s no one played the music outside of the south it was like you just it was not done the music was totally a completely new music to people who hadn't grown up with it um a bunch of Southsiders started this band in about 1975 the leader's still around and um mark greg cahill and he'll be playing at that festival this weekend um in naperville
0: I don't want to talk about this much because we talked about it in the pre-roll and I want to get to the mayor's race and the Donald Trump non-indictment this week but let me just read Mark Guarino from something you wrote a couple of years ago on Facebook about Lollapalooza. (laughs) We just found out what the Lollapalooza announcement is in Chicago this week. It's a bunch of bands of course and the headliners are Billie Eilish and Red Hot Chili Peppers. There's about four or five names that you'll recognize on the top of the bill and then there's a bunch of bands that you won't and about that phenomenon At Lollapalooza a couple of years ago, you wrote, psst, The reason you don't recognize 90% of the names on the Lollapalooza bill is not that you're old. You're not old. You know plenty of bands. It's because no one recognizes them, not even the people buying the tickets. The names on the bill are largely background acts that couldn't fill the empty bottle. The reason is Lollapalooza is now a lifestyle, not a music festival. The producers know they only need to pay big bucks for four or five artists on the bill. That in the retail world are called loss leaders. They discovered that they could save money by packing in daytime filler programming because the teenagers who are buying the tickets are there mainly for Instagram shots and experiences. Working bands with a national profile are expensive. So why build a big music budget when your ticket holders are just fine with background blah? Stop using a crass, uncool business model as a barometer of your coolness. (laughs) You're welcome, he writes at the end of his piece. And I just found that a little affirming, because I don't know who these bands are, and I haven't for years. And I just attributed that to me never being cool. But maybe that's okay. Like, maybe an, an experiential thing with food and brands is what Lollapalooza is. It
2: seems to work for them, so... I don't want to be too judgy about it. I I think I was kind of reacting to this idea that you hear all the time, which I think has a lot to do with ageism. Like if you don't recognize something, that you're just too old, you're not with it. And I think that people aren't – and I think that applies to maybe some – a lot of situations. But I think the music industry has just changed so much, and the ways people are exposed to music has changed so much that um, it's not really the – the clearest way to explain stuff like what happened to Lollapalooza, and yeah, as I mentioned, it's a lifestyle festival. It's not a diehard music a festival for musical diehards, which it started out as be one, when it was a touring festival, and also when it became a destination festival.
1: Don't bands ever break through there, though? I mean, isn't it an opportunity for bands to break through?
2: It really it used to matter more to break through there. Like I saw the Black Keys on a side street, side uh, stage there once, and now they I think they came back and headlined it many years later. Mm-hmm. Um, not not necessarily, no. I mean, I don't think it really matters as much to play Lollapalooza as it did years ago because I don't think that the fans there are going to really follow. They're not going there to go just... Dis- it's not a place of discovery anymore. I mean, it's really... A place- oh, you're just
0: saying all of that
2: because you're old. No, 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 no I wait, Like, well, I, well, I'll <laughs> give an example. Like the Pitchfork Music Festival, which is like this year, eh, I don't think I'm going to go to it because I don't, I don't really care about all of those fans. But I will won't deny that those bands are bands that are considered on the kind of cutting edge of music today. Are all on all the top ten lists and are still there for discovery uh, by audiences. And so, but that's kind of what I was saying earlier. That's a small festival, and I think like Pitchfork and and even smaller festivals like that have kind of emerged as more sort of the music connoisseurs festival whereas um Lollapalooza is essentially just a big party for people to go and dance and have fun and 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 all that you know it's but it's just not necessarily a play. it's not necessarily a festival that's rooted in music um mm-hmm. anymore as, as as a driver to go
3: and, and and of course, the truth is that if you were to be an avid listener to music radio these days, you still wouldn't have heard nearly all these bands, no right? Because, right. Of the, no because of the way the music industry is. So I say you could be you could be trying to keep up by 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 listening to the radio, but you couldn't possibly. You'd have to be deep into people's playlists and stuff. But
2: well. there, there's one good thing about Lollapalooza that still remains is that they um oftentimes have nighttime shows at places like metro so there, you'll be able to find some of the bands that are um have an audience they'll play metro at night metro fills about a thousand people and um and you know those bands will fill that and and so you can go see them just pay your money just to go see that one band you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars for all this other stuff and so it's it's um those nighttime shows seem really uh, almost like more desirable than Lollapalooza itself, or somebody who's just like really interested in music. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, I think there's been a lot of problems with a lot of the, des- not just with Lollapalooza, there's been a lot of problems with, with, um, a lot of these festivals over the years. Um, you know, we've, you've, everyone's heard about the uh, Fire Festival and, and, and a lot of, um, there's, there's been a lot of festivals that had a lot of problems with, um, sexual assault happening there. And, um, and I think that, um, I think the allure of them, I think they'll always sell, but the allure of them has kind of been, is starting to fall a little bit. And I think that's because you're seeing sort of these smaller festivals kind of rise in their place. Okay, let's go now to
0: TikTok. And I don't mean the Chinese-owned platform that 27 states have restricted. I mean, the clock is ticking down to the election day in Chicago. And everyone, especially the candidates, are anxious for it to be over. In fact, on a hot mic last night after their debate on WGN, Paul Vallis turned to Brandon Johnson and said, How many more of these do we have? Uh, The answer (laughs) as of today is four. But more importantly, I thought, at least the debate on our radio station and TV station last night uh, distinguished one difference between the candidates, uh, not, not, not that they haven't been different all along, but I like that they emphasize this point. Do you want to spend a billion dollars on social programs in Chicago to make life better for the poor, including 20,000 homeless students? Or would you prioritize, do you want someone who will put maximum policing first and has no plan to raise $800 million in taxes? It seems to me like so much of the debates of late, including the one you and Laura Washington hosted, Eric, I think are about crime and punishment. But there are other issues, and they're all kind of woven together. I don't think we're spending enough time talking about if Brandon Johnson becomes mayor, how is he going to finance that, what that program is, or just the very fact that he seems to be as interested in taking care of the poor as he does jailing the poor or jailing the, the, the criminal element out there?
1: I mean, it's a real clear choice. I mean, at least you have that. It's uh, But uh, some of the coverage has really bothered me. Uh, the Associated Press story on the race referred to Vallis being more moderate than Johnson. And I thought that was a kind of a ridiculous value judgment. And, and it's like, and really that's just a way of saying that Vallis is moderate and Brandon Johnson is a wingnut out there mm-hmm. in, in Scaryville. And I, I just thought that was unfair. Um, you know, one is uh, endorsed by the Chicago Police Union, which, is, I mean, is a very... I think a very negative influence on the, the whole on the city just because they don't really believe in accountability. And, you know, there if you want a bunch more Laquan McDonald situations to happen, you know, keep the Chicago police union behaving the same way it always does. So uh, it's not a good thing that ballast is endorsed by them. On the other hand, it's, uh, you know, you reasonably could wonder, you know, whether Chicago teachers union will have undue influence with Brandon Johnson. I do feel like that it's a it's a positive development for people to be talking about the poor in Chicago, and I'm not talking about shooting the poor, I'm talking about helping the poor and and because you because you, you have this well, oh, why do we have a crime problem in chicago what's the what is the reason for this crime problem? Well, the problem largely is poverty, it's lack of jobs, it's lack of opportunities, it's lack of education, so why don't we do something about that? and uh, but people don't go there i mean i think there are are rational questions about both candidates i don't live in city chicago so i'm not voting in it i don't want people to think that you know just that valis is the moderate and johnson is the radical because that's really unfair
3: the more i am listening to these candidates the less enchanted i am with both of them uh that i that i'm watching these debates listening to them and and hearing them evade questions that deserve answers uh last night they asked brandon johnson what we should do about uh, people who were arrested multiple times in firearms violations and he just wouldn't answer the question and you know they asked paul Vallis, what makes you think that you could possibly hire back you you could fill the police ranks with all these police officers who are just sitting at home going oh if vallas is elected i'm coming out of
0: retirement he really thinks that he thinks they're going to jump when he gets elected
3: and and he, he you know he he Circumlocutes those kind of questions as well. And and uh, I like guess I said this to you before, John, I'm kind of wondering whether I'm going to miss Lori
0: Lightfoot when
3: it's all, <laughs> yeah.
1: when it's all said yeah.
0: and done. You are a leader in that thought, by the way. I hadn't heard that expressed until you brought it up the other day.
1: Maybe a year from now someone might say that.
0: Well, I, yeah. I mean, who knows? Here's the quandary for me. I'm like – I don't know what the right – what do I know about policing and public safety? Should we, you know, pour a billion dollars at the root cause or should we just crack some heads? Not that that's Vallis's plan, but, it you know, what what's the right tact? Which of these guys is the better
2: leader f- to reduce well, crime in Chicago? I don't know. I, I've always dreamt of having a presidential candidate talk about poverty in the U.S. The last one was John Edwards. That he made poverty his platform unfortunately that didn't really go well but um Hmm. but you know solving poverty solving crime those are very very complex problems not just in chicago but everywhere i think there's sometimes these campaigns become so simplistic these are issues in chicago that go back decades and really take and also to change them takes decades too long after these people are out of office the more serious inquiry into these people should be like their experience and what have they done and also how do they work? Have they, have they been in government and worked in government? An issue, a real vulnerability for Brandon Johnson to me is that he really hasn't any experience working in government. And that sort of is, might bring us back, back to the complaints about Lori Lightfoot that she, I think we talked about this last time that one of the real problems with Lori Lightfoot, while she was very serious about these issues everything was very emotional and she couldn't and she couldn't take any criticism and she lashed out at people and she couldn't work with people which you kind of have to do when you're in public office and you and that's sort of a rookie mistake because she was a rookie and and i think that like um one of the strong things about ballas is that he had, He's gone through administrations in this city and other city, and and, I, and he has worked with stakeholders to to move things forward. That's such a basic breakdown of these two candidates, which I know is unfair for both of them. But I just feel like you know, deciding which one is better on crime, which one's better on poverty, and all that. Mm-hmm. It's just um, I don't know. I think it makes it really simplistic because these are really, really serious issues. Well. That, that require more than just like a, a soundbite.
1: You know, another issue that I don't know if people are thinking enough about is the turnover in the Chicago City Council is, you know, is dramatic. And that's going to, and, and so we ought to be prepared no matter who gets elected mayor for there to be some, be chaos and maneuvering mm-hmm. and dysfunction early on. And whatever, whoever is the mayor their for their term is going to be kind of a little it's bound to be shaky at the start and not it's necessarily funny. because of their fault.
2: Yeah, it's funny you mention that because I remember watching city council meetings under Daly and also Rom, and they were fairly boring because you had a rubber stamp council and they all loved each other and all this. And then when you watched, you know, during the pandemic, I was watching online, the ones with Mayor Lightfoot, and I was embarrassed watching them because they were so vitriolic and you had people yelling and it was just a sort of like, it was this really antagonistic, very tense situation that nothing got done. And you're right; I think that that's going to not only continue to the new May- throughout the new mayors. It's going to get worse. It's going to get absolutely worse. Yeah, I get the sense that Johnson's
3: rhetoric, he, it seems very polarizing. I, I brought up when I was moderating that debate, I brought up the fact that, you know, he's promised 60,000 jobs for kids in the city. And I, and I point out that, you know, these, a lot of these kids aren't, aren't job ready, that job readiness is an issue. And he basically accused me of being a racist for yeah. suggesting That's that. The you know, life Lightfoot move right I'm, there. I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm job ready. And it's like, it's like, no, man, you know, this is an issue. You, you know, you need money for job for, to get people ready. for for the workforce and uh and and he and he was talking and talking about um, that standardized testing was part of like a, a racial genocide uh program. I mean his his rhetoric is so is, is so inflammatory sometimes and I just wonder how is someone like that going to work with all the disparate elements of the city? Uh he he seems very polarizing. Um, again, I feel like I probably agree with him on more things than I disagree with him, but i am um uh, I'm, I'm not the, the more I hear him talk, the less I'm excited about him. I got I say. think
2: I think the left needs a really good candidate in this race. I don't think it's him. His followers and him are very, very um condescending and polarizing in their comments to people um and it only makes Wallace look better. I'll circle back to my comment beforehand. It's classic Lori Lightfoot move, and that happens when you're a rookie in public office. You just attack the person who's asking questions. We had a president who was like this. I don't know if you remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, uh, I, I just yeah. want to stop stop you on the not running a negative campaign. I've been seeing a lot of ball ads on TV that seem quite negative. They're talking about Brandon Johnson and what an evil person he is.
2: the They're using the defund the police thing against him. Right. Uh, Yeah. And and what I'm just the
1: radical, Uh, they they have the radical and big. The
2: other ones show uh, shady.
0: It's shady, Paul Vallis. And then they try Mm. and associate him with the Republican donors, the people that supported Trump, the people that denied the pandemic. Those people are.
2: This is the truth, are giving a lot of money to Paul Vallis. The night of his concession or not his concession, the night of the, the first election. Johnson went on the attack and, and trying to call it. I mean, there's this underlying tone of racism to trying to paint vows as a racist, too. And that's undeniable in that campaign. I mean, they're not coming out and saying it, but, you know, you see it all over social media. And I find that totally disgusting. And, you know, um,
1: don't and, you think we need Harold Washington? I mean, wouldn't wouldn't that be like somebody who was smart enough to, you know, to not put everything in racial terms, but to put it in fairness terms.
2: Absolutely. I, and, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But I and think because,
1: that's... Because, I mean, I, I feel like Chicago is, is a real left-leaning city. It is the, yes. so, that the voters are. So you would think that they would naturally go toward Johnson as opposed to Vallas. But... You know, you have what you just had just said about, uh, you know, is Johnson, you know, too strident and and is he like accusing people of stuff that they don't deserve to be accused of? I think I I feel like that certain smart politicians in the past, such as Harold Washington, were able to kind of navigate that better.
2: Yeah, that's
3: absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. let's circle back a little bit to this uh, defund the police thing. Um, Johnson clearly embraced defund the police back in 2020 and for him to say it was it was a theory but it wasn't my theory or it was a a slogan but it wasn't my slogan was just nonsense i think that that he has for some reason decided that he can't own that he was in favor of the defund the police movement and he needs to define what he meant by that then and how his thinking has changed because i think it has i think that he realizes that to run the city you can't uh, you know, politically or, or whatever, you can't say defund the police. That's a, a slogan that was, that maybe sounded good in 2020. It was misunderstood. Uh, and I, it was, I yeah. think, a very poor choice of slogans. He needs to own that. He needs to talk about that. Um, and yet he, he refuses. He dances around it, And it's very dispiriting to hear that. Because you, know, the, the,
1: you know, I remember when the George Floyd thing happened. And I was, you know, it was during the pandemic. And, you know, I was, we didn't have, you know, we were not in, having large groups of people in our houses because of the pandemic. And I remember taking a walk with my daughters and my wife. We were talking about it. My daughters are younger, obviously, than me and very and quite liberal. And they were saying, "Defund the police." Great idea, you know. And and my wife and I were saying, "That's a terrible slogan.
3: That's
1: (laughs) That's a ridiculous slogan. Don't say that." And and they didn't get it. And it's obviously true. And and but the real point of that is not to defund the police. It's to it's to support the police by taking a lot of these social worker issues off of their plate. I mean that's the way to sell that, but it, but this but a terrible slogan. Well, but he's trying
0: to do that now, but he's just not getting any traction because the ad campaign or the media or the the die has been cast well, on that. And set the set reason
2: he it. can't and the reason he can't do it and the reason people like him of his stripe cannot do it is because the tone that they come with is police are all bad. The tone is so strident.
0: You don't find his rhetoric. Um, maybe you don't find it inspiring, but you don't think he's good at his spiel. I think
2: when he, I think he's very polished. Absolutely, he's very polished and he's energetic and he's young. And I think he's got all of those things that are really, really appealing. But I think that he comes across very. This, I, I think, this is likely why he's going to lose. I think that he's going to. He comes off across as very brash and very condescending, and so do his followers. And I think. That's really a tragedy for the for the left, um, which I think both these guys are more or less left. But I mean, but for the left in this race, um, because I think people are just turned off by that.
0: Uh, Mark, Sagan, so, what are you um, what yeah. are you thinking about that? You made a face like you agreed or disagreed.
1: Well, I mean, I guess I made a face because I, I don't think Dallas is liberal. I think he's I think he's not. And and uh, uh, he's
2: a socially liberal. I mean,
1: he's pro-choice. Yeah, he's, 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 I a mean, Chicago, he's a it, Chicago liberal. You know, no I mean, no he's you, not no he, he's no he's he's don't you think he's right of of the of the center of Chicago political thinking he's he, that clearly is
0: well he's that but I, in other
1: I, cities I think
2: in Peoria think that's that where he's still, running,
1: but that's where he's running
2: okay I don't think Chicago is a far left city I think Chicago is a left democratic city right and I think that on all the issues of social justice gay rights women's right to choose he's he's right there. And that's a Chicago liberal to me. Well, I mean, if you, he's, if you he's not for the right of you. those issues.
1: If you don't want police reform, he also has made comments about, you know, regarding, you know, the critical race theory and all that, that it, they're clearly not liberal. Uh, in fact, the opposite. I think he's, I think there is a level of pandering going on with, with Paul Vallis. I think both candidates have their weaknesses. I'm well, not like, I'm not campaigning for anyone either. <laughs> I think it's
3: been interesting. One of the things that I've noticed is the endorsements as they're lining up that, Val seems to be uh, getting a bunch of uh, of endorsements that are that are anomalous. Uh, he's getting. Uh jesse white he's getting uh, bobby rush he's getting former senate president emil jones he's right. getting a whole raft of, of african-american or black aldermen uh he got pat quinn who was a supporter of Chuy garcia yeah uh, he got he got jamal green or jamal green a, a week ago which i thought was was a pretty curious endorsement given how far left jamal green is that and and i don't see those same kind of anomalous endorsements coming to Johnson. Oh, so, Johnson's got a lot of endorsements, but they're all, you know, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, all, all the progressive uh, and socialist right. aldermen are with him. Uh, I'm not seeing him. I'm not seeing him breaking out of that of that silo the way I am seeing Vallis do that. So, I mean, I, I guess I would agree with Mark that right now it looks to me like Vallis will probably win because of that. And I'm hearing from a lot of my readers and people who say like, yeah, I just, I I don't love Vallis, but but uh he's he's the guy who seems like he's going to get it done. And he's got the experience
2: and what the hell. I've heard from more than one people person that said they'd only want to vote. They don't like either of them, which I found really interesting that both of them, are just total disappointments.
0: But we do have a distinction here. I mean, we've all been talking about the difference between the two. Maybe it would be better if they were maybe more similar, but I'm wondering what the ideal candidate would look like then. At least you've got two different uh, constituencies and you've got two different attitudes about city government. So we got that going for us. I think you said that, Mark. Um, what What would you like in a candidate to run the city, to make the city safer—that you don't see right now—what well, are they I not mean, I think, saying?
2: I, I think part of the role of a of a mayor of any big city. Again, what I said—they're you know, not going to solve these problems overnight. They can have, but they can put really good people in place and have good policies to move us toward the good, and that's great. But I also think that they're also a consensus builder, and they're a. Um, sort of an ambassador of the city. And so to Mark's point, I would love to see a person like Harold Washington in office, someone who everyone liked, who seemed to basically make everyone feel welcome around the table, who didn't condescend to them. And I think that's sort of like, that is missing from our politics today.
0: The uh, condescension factor, I'm trying to think of when would when was the last mayor that wasn't condescending And Maybe it was Harold Washington. <laughs> right. I mean, I'd, I don't think that's a long suit if you're running for a major office like that. Here's a quote, though, from <clears> Brandon <throat> Johnson in the last debate. He said, you're asking me whether or not we should hold teachers responsible for poverty. We're not measuring it right. We have 20,000 students who are homeless. The vast majority of our students are living in poverty. If we're not addressing the living conditions and the working conditions of our communities, then we're not serious about improving the lives of our children. A standardized test that has roots in eugenics to prove the inferiority of black people should not be the measurement. 35% of families on the north side of Chicago make a $100,000 a year or more. Half of the west-siders and south-siders make less than $25,000. is the way we improve public education, by improving the lives of people who are raising children. So I'm I like a lot of that. I would have pulled one of those sentences out of there if I were him. But The eugenics part? Yeah, but that's 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 classic Brandon Johnson for somebody like me who is leaning into him. But I'm like, oh, did you have to say that, dude? You've got to win the election. That doesn't help. But that's core for him, isn't it, Eric?
3: It does seem to be. And, and uh, I think you can make all the points that he made without... Implicitly saying that, well, or not, or explicitly saying that, you know, we, we test people because we we want to get rid of black people. Um, I, I think that there's got there has to be measurements for how schools are doing. And he's right that you can't blame teachers. And I've said this all along. This is one of the big problems I have with Vallis and and the whole charter schools movement and the and especially the voucher stuff, which is <clears> like <throat> they want they want to blame teachers and schools for not solving these massive social pathologies that we have and you know teachers are really doing their best in most cases to try to deal with this kind of stuff and they have a lot on their plate in some of these in some of these tougher schools and so the idea that we're going to blame teachers and we're going to take money away from from public education and give it to private schools that, i mean i'm more worried about Vallis defunding public education than i am about brandon johnson defunding. that's
1: a great that's a great issue and and also and there's less accountability mm-hmm. that way you know when you divert, divert taxpayer money to private institutions you can't oversee them like you're overseeing public education yeah i mean it's it's a real issue for you know if if you're big on you know we're going to make sure that our education system does what it's supposed to do then vouchers to a large extent go against that because they divert money to places where the people who get the money are less accountable to the public
3: and they get paid a ton ton of money some of those, uh, those charter school guys get paid huge bucks to run those charter networks
0: Let's talk about uh, Donald Trump this week. Uh, Here's my question for you guys. Uh, Do you think that uh, Trump wants to get arrested? And if so, why?
3: I'll start. I'll say no. I don't think he really wants to get arrested. I I think he is going to try to make the most of getting arrested that he can. But I don't see anybody. I, I really doubt that there's going to be anybody who's going to change their vote. And vote for Donald Trump because he's arrested on these on these Todd charges and is, and is facing other charges in other areas. Uh, I, I mean, yes, it's going to inflame some of his base and he's going to allow him to act like a martyr and a victim. But I don't think it changes any votes. And he's already seven million votes in the hole. Uh, if you look at the uh,
0: 2020 election. So, to no, DeSantis he, or to think, Biden to whom?
3: No, no, no! Oh, for the previous the Latin, election, Latin. yeah, okay, in yeah. yeah previous election, got it. So, uh, so I would say no, he doesn't, and that's why he's complaining about it. Uh, and that's that's my take on it. I, I think that he that this is not going to play well for him in the long run.
1: Oh, I think he want does not want to get arrested, but he wants to, us to talk about him getting arrested <laughs> a lot. You know, he's made. Uh, you know, here we are. We're talking. We're taping this on on Wednesday, and he's made one point five million dollars since he. We announced on Saturday that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday, which, as we know, didn't take place. You know, and, and, the, and then his, all the Trump supporters were saying, well, there was this leak, what this terrible leak that said that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. That leak was him. That was him on Truth Social. I, I, I mean, it's I think I think he loves it the conversation being about him. But no, he doesn't want to be arrested. I mean, he doesn't he wants doesn't want to be accountable for anything he does. And the, the one thing the my strongest thought about this whole thing is that I kind of hate the fact that these charges may go first, because they, to me, they are clearly the weakest charges against him. And, and it's still a crime. I mean, even the people, you know, they're saying, well, it's not a big crime, it's still a crime to falsify your business records, which They even admit he did. They just saying it's not a big enough crime. But the other crimes that he's being investigated for are massive crimes, traitorous crimes. I mean, we're talking, you know, we're talking stealing secret documents. We're talking trying to overturn a fair election. There you are. We're we're talking, you know, go find me 12,000 votes. We're talking election fraud. We're talking terrible stuff. And so, I mean, I would love to see fanny willis come first I, I i don't like the fact that this manhattan da thing may come first because to me the stuff in georgia is a lot stronger and I, i'd rather i'd rather see it first and you know I, I i imagine Fannie willis warming up at the bullpen after this uh you know after Bragg starts it all and and her coming in and really making an impact because that's that's by far the more serious charge
0: the uh fanny <clears throat> willis charge is which one
1: Oh yeah, well that's the the Fulton County uh oh, charge yeah, in, yeah. in Georgia where they investigate that's where we got we got the president of the United States saying on audio, go find up twelve thousand votes after the after the votes have been certified. In other words, you know, other words, go commit election fraud. I mean, mm-hmm. we it, it's clear that's what he's saying. He's trying to talk somebody into committing election fraud. And then they you also have the fake electors in Georgia, which is in multiple states where the where people who are not elected as electors, signed paperwork, signed it with her name, sent it in to the government saying we're the real electors and you know and that's a felony. I mean people are going to go down for this and and so that and they should. But don't and, you look, think that
0: the like, New York yeah, State yeah. charges against Trump dilute the the impact of these?
1: Well, well well just just one thing about that we don't really we don't know what those charges are. I mean, we know. We, we know. We have leaks. We we don't know. It could be stronger than we think. But what we what according to the reports, it is is that is that he did this funny stuff just before the election to pay off Stormy Daniels to to be quiet, and he routed it in a way that he was trying to you know he was trying to hide what he was doing, and and in effect, the argument I believe is going to be that he was uh, that it was an illegal co- contribution to his own. Presidential campaign, which is, I think, is kind of a hard argument to make because there's, you know, you could also argue he just didn't want his wife to know, which I don't believe because I don't think he cares. But, uh, but, but you can make that argument. I just think it's the weakest as far as getting a conviction, and it's also, frankly, although it's he's violating the election law. I think it's also it's just not as important as trying to overturn democracy, which is what the other stuff is.
0: Well, that's why I, I'm a little surprised at your responses, Mark, you can respond to this, too. But I thought maybe that was just a knee jerk reaction that Trump does want to get arrested because he plays the martyr. He gets money. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure that it doesn't hurt his election chances and that it dilutes the impact of these other more credible cases, more important cases, because it's a case of, well, there we go again. Now they're going after for this. Uh, I completely agree with you, Mark, that if this were the last of them, if if I had to prioritize them, this would be the one we would ask to go last. Instead, it's going first. And I think it hurts the other causes and in a strange way. I think it helps the president. What about you, Mark Guarino?
2: Well, I think that this file, I think Trump is, I'm not the first one to say this here, he's very psychologically broken. So I think he wants two things, two opposing things at the same time. I think deep down inside, he's terrified of being arrested. He's probably been terrified of being arrested his entire career. Uh, he's been protected his entire career. And so he's avoided that. But I think that is his... That's been his Why would he be of...
0: tired?
3: Why
2: would he be afraid of being arrested? What is it? Because it's embarrassing. I mean, he's not going to—he's not going to serve hard time. I, I think having everything taken away. I think there's a primal thing having everything taken away from him. He's just lashing out. I think that's inherently because I think ultimately he understands that he's surrounded by fraud, and and what he has has been obtained by fraud, and it's just very—it's just—it's all a smoke and mirrors thing. And so, him getting arrested makes him. Kind of punctures a hole, a little hole in that, a kind of a big hole in that. But at the same time, I think that he, as both Mark and Eric have Talked about here pretty eloquently about he, he he would love to be arrested because it it helps paint him as a victim and victimhood has been his calling card since day one. Even though he keeps winning, he he became president, he was still a victim. He was a victim his entire entire four years and after that. So I think it continues that victimhood narrative which he's used very effectively to market uh, the Trump brand. I like
3: what the person said on Twitter. They said um, if they arrest Donald Trump for breaking the law then they could arrest you for breaking the law.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the point in this New York State case, isn't it? That it is the law. You're not supposed to do it. So do you let the president get away with it or do you – or do you press charges against him and treat him like an ordinary citizen?
3: I, I thought the Tribune editorial this morning, I think it was Wednesday morning, uh, sort of comparing this to the Jesse Smollett case, which is that it matters. When you have a high-profile defendant who is accused of a crime, you can't just blow it off. And that's what you've got here. You've got a high-profile situation with with Trump and everybody who's Thinks it through, knows what happened here. He can't just say, well, the law doesn't apply to him. And that's kind of what Kim Fox did with Jussie Smollett. She she let him go without extracting any kind of admission or guilty plea from him and and uh, it would have been over in a couple of weeks but but
1: uh
3: you know i think that you really have to go ahead and prosecute when you've got this kind of evidence against someone that prominent
1: and, and don't you think the sad thing is that that this man is a career criminal this man has been cheating business associates for decades this man is like he had to do a 25 million dollar settlement you know on trump university for for uh screwing over people he had to, his kids had to go into classes to learn how to not cheat people on a charity it's it's a crime organization he's he is the don of a crime organization and he's been doing it for decades and the fact that no, that here he is advanced age and nobody has ever made him come to account on this is it, it's a failure of a lot of prosecutors over a lot of decades
2: I think he was protected in New York for so long and by the prosecutor's office. Um, I think he's been given money to that office. It's been documented. I think he's been supporting candidates to protect him. I think he's, in the New York Society Circle, has protected him. You know, you're talking, John, about whether this will affect his election chances or not. I think it's still so overblown that somehow Trump has a chance to be president again. I think that part of it is we keep seeing, uh, you know, national media organizations love to have photos of all the his supporters out there with their signs and terrible signs to say terrible things. They're signing on the highway outside of his club and everything. I, I think that it's diminishing returns with this guy. There's just no, it's, it's that creates this illusion out there that he's this viable candidate and. He's not going to suddenly upswing after all of this. The Trump fatigue is real, not just for Democrats, but I think also for Republicans. My uh, producer will give me a cross look if I bring up probably
0: the Jesse Smollett story, but you started it, Eric. <laughs> Did have you guys been watching the docu series at all about how he screwed up that? fake crime have you been did you look at i sat
2: I, in the courtroom every single day of that trial so i have uh, fatigue i have tr- trauma with that name so i don't think i could watch that, <laughs> that Who,
3: which uh, which service is it on john i haven't uh, seen anything you about can it.
2: dial in on youtube and
0: watch it it's fox Ooh. fox nation well,
3: that's that's where i go for all night <laughs>
0: it's uh <laughs> I'm not shocked that it's Fox Nation, but it's if if that had been Netflix, I don't think you would have known the difference. One observation I had was just how terribly likable the Osandaro brothers are. Ola and Bola, the, um, mm-hmm. the the brothers who actually faked the crime with him, they just sit there. They're two good-looking guys with great big smiles. They seem sweet, even though they're massive. One is a professional boxer now, for crying mm-hmm. out loud, and they just go, "Oh yeah, we did it." you know they just like they straight up go yeah we did it and then when they saw him on um when when Robin Roberts interviewed him and he's doing that whole crying jag they go oh we're being played because they thought that he was just going to play this thing for social media points to try and advance his career, and then they see that um, he's, he's making it out to be more than it is. For instance, they never thought he was going to go to the police with this. They thought this would be a social play. I don't know how that anybody thought if you say I was assaulted on the streets of Chicago, the police won't be involved. But this is the, this is the harebrained <laughs> scheme that these genius, yeah, nice, nice guys,
3: but kind of dumb. Oh, I, I maybe mean, so. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. Uh, but they and they they were asked, uh, "How did your parents feel about this?" And they said they were not happy. <laughs> to find out that he was in they were involved in this scheme of his but again they thought we're going to make 3500 bucks uh four thousand dollars you know he'll play it on social media and we just get a little money under the table they had no idea what they were getting themselves into clearly a little don't bit.
1: you think that, that that's a, another great example of, of a prosecutor stepping in it you know just because to, just because you're not playing it straight up and being fair to everyone that's why i think i mean we'll have to see how this alvin bragg thing happens but but he's not talking publicly a lot. He's not, uh, you know, I don't I bet he's not sending any fan letters to anyone or acting the way Kim Fox did. So it may work out for him. It's just it it's it, it's just you, you as a prosecutor, you just can't you can't play around with the people you're investigating. You just can't you can't fool around. You have to just be you have to be boring, frankly.
0: You're reminded in that series of what a recusal means, what it is and what it isn't. And if you say, I can't prosecute this case, I'm handing it to my second in charge, how that was the wrong play. And, you know, here I am going down that road again. My wife says to me as I'm leaving the house the next day. Don't talk about this on the radio, okay? Please, <laughs> Chicago's done with this story. And I well, found I myself- think Chicago
2: still wants to see justice. I know Jesse Smollett, though. I think it's this weird thing of like, I think that people were just so sick of this guy, but they want you know, it's like there's been such a waste of money around this guy, and he's been and right to the very last second when he put his hand up in the air, and you know, he he's never apologized for any of this stuff. I think like their need. He, I still think it's like this relationship, this battered relationship that Chicago has with him. They need him to basically serve some time or apologize, and then he can go away.
0: The sting would be greater, though, I think, if he were a more significant personality. To be honest with you, I didn't know who Jesse Smollett was until this happened. I didn't watch no Empire. Did, yeah. I, I wasn't yeah. in his audience, so uh, how would I? Which was one of the bizarre things about the fabrication anyway do you think that white mega supporters at two in the morning on a january night in chicago
2: are big empire watchers come on guys come on well, that, that doesn't work but you know what he fooled me i remember when i heard the news i was so outraged and i was embarrassed for chicago i remember I posted something on social media i just how embarrassed i was for city having these people you know so yeah he, did, he he fooled me you know i mean and for a week I, or
0: so for a few days or so i'll stop talking about it now but one thing that is also clear in the doc is that uh the police knew from the first day but they couldn't be seen not prosecuting it to the full hilt so they threw all the resources at it knowing that this knowing how this was going to end they smelled this thing the second they walked in the door Eric, let's uh, talk briefly, speaking of uh, interesting odors, about human composting. What is the status of this bill in Springfield?
3: Well, it's a bill from uh, Kelly Cassidy, who's a state rep from Chicago, and it, it allows for human compost. It's called natural organic reduction, and essentially, it's the it's the way they dispose of livestock, which is you you put uh, the, the body inside an urn that's got a bunch of other organic material in it, you heat it, and you rotate the urn for I think it's like a month or something mm-hmm. like that, and you end up with essentially with soil with compost soil. And this is something that's allowed so far in uh, six or seven other states, starting in Oregon and it's a way that you know, as, as supporters say, you can literally push up daisies when you're done, that you become, you <laughs> return to the earth and this is uh, and the bill has advanced in the House and it's going to it's looking like it's going to go for a floor vote by the end of the week and so if what passes the House, it goes to the Senate and what Cassidy has done in terms of talking to other uh, stakeholders here is she's gotten the Funeral Directors Association to go from opposed to it to neutral. Now you can see why funeral directors might be opposed to it because it kind of goes around them but it's it's really no different than than uh cremation in the sense that you it requires a licensed facility to do this i'm sure the funeral industry is going to get on board with that the remaining opponents seem to be the catholic church which says that this degrades the human body Uh, and uh, you know the catholic church was opposed to cremation for many many years and they're grudgingly okay with it now um, but uh, they they have this strong feelings about how the body should be dealt with and and um, i'm fine with how anyone wa- feels about how they want their own remains or their loved ones remains to be disposed of if you don't want to I, I i would be uh, out in front on the protest lines if they were forcing people to do this but this is an option that people should have and it's worked fine in, in other states and, it, and i'm hoping that it works fine in illinois
0: I could see as an institution why you might feel like we need to be conservative about these sorts of things, but I can't imagine anybody thinking that they should impose their view on that decision on somebody else. Happens everywhere else. You know, happens everywhere. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that. Even as I send those worship, words, I you, know. <laughs> you could you could substitute a lot of other issues for that and we do it all of the time. But yeah, we do it all the time. but at least yeah. the, in this case the person's dead. So it's like they, they can't even stand at a picket line and yell at you. They're <laughs> no, dead. And
1: it doesn't it doesn't I'm sorry I just disagree with the Catholic Church on this. It does not degrade the person or diminish the, the meaning of their life. I mean, I think that this, our whole society is nuts about death. I think that I think our attitudes about death are are not are deadly. They're just not. They make us do stupid things, you know. And, and are you
0: thinking of something else besides this?
1: Uh, well, I, frankly, I'm not a big fan of cemeteries. I think that's I, I wonder what what kind of use of land that is. Um, and but, but I mean, I'm for people having the choice in doing it their way. I just think that I also just think that that we ought to just accept the fact. I, I am concerned with the fact that that we're so scared of death that we spend you know enormous amounts of money to keep people alive an extra twelve hours. Thank you. I mean that kind of stuff drives me nuts. Yeah. And and and, and there's such a thing as living a good life and 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 you know feeling okay about it. We all know we're going to die, so let's you know let's be grown ups about it. And and I just don't understand the idea that if you if you do this, you know the composting thing, rather than than any other method, that it's degrading to the person who died. That it, 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 it just seems nonsensical to me. And that one of the big arguments for doing this is that it's it's way more uh, it's better for the environment than uh, cremation. It's like cremation, supposedly. I didn't realize this is like the equivalent of driving to, uh, 470 miles in a car, as far as what Energy it does. To, uh, yeah, what it, well, what it does to in carbon dioxide oh, and wow. stuff like that. And so, you know, that's it's so I mean, it's so it seems like a good positive thing
3: in in fussing around about this story. I discovered that cremation is now the option, the preferred option of like something like 56, 57 percent of people who die. Go for cremation rather than conventional burial, and that number's just been growing steadily over the years. And they, you know, there are some places like in Canada, it's close to eighty percent. So that may just be where the future goes. But if you do give people this other option, I mean, I'm I, I'm really enamored with it myself. I would like I want to be shipped to Oregon. If they don't pass it here, I want to be shipped out to Oregon. <laughs> and,
0: Talk and about a I'm carbon gonna be- footprint. So you're going to ship your body all the way over there so that you can then be turned into human compost.
3: And then and then have it brought back and put in my uh, put in my yard here. I'm going to put you in
2: my wood chipper. All right, I got a guy. I got a guy. Uh,
0: I, it's fascinating that the industry even exists the way you described it the other day, Eric. I had no idea, but it's a pretty organic process. And they would be indistinguishable. You would not know that that was human remains. In- yeah, apparently.
3: Right? It's, it's You said odor when you began this segment, and there's apparently no odor at all to it at all. There's, I'm it's, sure. It's, uh, yeah. envi- they've tested it for environmental things. You know, obviously, human body has some toxins in it, but they, they heat those things out of it. It's uh, It passes all those environmental
0: tests. Well, to Mark Jacobs' point, too, about how we just don't we're, – we're too afraid of death in this country. I think that's kind of what you were saying. Yeah. I I think we should allow people to determine their own time of death. Like, I'm not leading a uh, a life that I want to lead anymore. And uh, so next Thursday, let's all have a cake and uh, we're going to turn me off. And we could do it painlessly and quickly.
1: I just think it's part of like individual you know agency, individual freedom is to be able to make those decisions yourself. And people do know, they kind of know when their time is, I think most of them. And 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 it's not a bad thing. I mean, it, 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 being able to you know say goodbye and de- and decide that well yeah I had a I had a great run, is is mentally healthy. And uh, I I just think that that's why I always hate this. You know you know he struggled against that he lost the battle against so and so and all that. Well, we're all going to lose the battle against some disease or mm-hmm. another. So 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 why does it have to be a fight? Why can't it just be part of a normal process of living and dying? And that's the way it's always been.
0: One of the fears is that people would manipulate the system so as to terminate people's lives more quickly, you know, sooner than they would want. But, Death panels. But, yeah, well, I, but it would seem to me the same way you ask a person – to determine who will have power of attorney over medical or power of attorney over financial decisions you make that when you're competent so you could at the same time make a competent decision right. about how and when you want to end your life and if I when I'm well enough have decided that when I'm fading I'm going to I'm going to make the decision and you're going to honor it right. to right. end my life peacefully i, I would like that for yeah. me i would like that I mean, for yeah, me I-
3: I would definitely like it too. I, the problem, of course, is that when you you're, you're supposed to be able to make this decision yourself, and and so even in states where assisted suicide is legal, you have to be sort of a sound mind. And one of the terrible infirmities of aging is that you're not of sound mind anymore. And I, you know, I, I'm certainly living with that in my family, and and I, probably some of you in, in your families too. Where. Uh, you know, uh, the person is simply not capable of making any decisions at all. So they they can't. They no longer have any agency. So they would have to make that decision in advance. Uh, like you, John, I would like to make that decision in advance. I would like to set some benchmarks and say, look, if I don't know who I am anymore, if I don't know who my wife is, if I don't know who my children are, then that's it. My I'm I'm done. Uh, and I've lived a good life. And I'm I'm or I I put out a newsletter. I wrote some columns. I appeared on <laughs> some podcasts. You know, adios. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, we just don't have any system for that.
0: Or much of an appetite for it. I sure don't hear politicians talking about doing something about that. And on that happy note... (laughs) Anything else, Eric, that we want to uh, delve into here before we we go? We
3: started with this fun music festival, and we ended up with (laughs)
2: That's
0: all right. Death and despair. It's all good stuff. Although, you know, Mark, we were talking about Mark's book. We didn't talk about what you're writing. Um, Is there something that you wanted to mention, Mark Jacob? You told me before we got rolling you are working on a book.
1: Well... No, uh, well, yeah, um, no, I, no. It's that's like in a a year and a quarter, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I, it would be it would be unwise for me to even talk about it because okay. then somebody would sneak up and write something. Not as good, but faster. You know. So, <laughs> so, so I will keep that secret, but you know, you'll be among the first to know.
0: You let us know and we'll be happy to champion your cause.
2: You're being like a good prosecutor, you're keeping silent. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be boring. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. All right, Mark Guarino, Mark Jacob, Eric Zorn, we're produced by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman. I'm John Williams and we'll drop another podcast on you next week.
3: Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at
2: WGNRadio.com.